Hi, and thank you for listening in to the New Song Podcast from this week's service. You are welcome and encouraged to join us at 10 a.m. on Sundays in person. And for more information on how to get involved with New Song, go to newsonglouisville.org and follow us on social media. And now for today's message. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says this, For by grace you've been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Can you say amen to that? This morning as we get into part 12 of Indestructible Joy, by the way, this will be our our last uh, message in the book of Philippians for this year. And we'll turn our attention over these next few weeks to Christmas and the new year. And then we'll restart uh, Philippians in the new year. But this morning, I want to focus in on something really important. It's going to be a little more technical than what we've been in the last, uh, the last uh, number of messages. So hang on. It might take me a little while to, to get through it, but it's important and um, worth spending our time on today. Let me ask you a question as we begin today. How many of you remember that moment that, for me, it was a very precious and powerful moment when, how many of you remember that moment when you said yes to Jesus? When you truly said, uh, yes, Jesus, I want to follow you. I want to give you my heart. I want my life to be yours. Uh, maybe you grew up in church and, you know, you kind of had some moments, but then there was that final moment where you, you said yes to Jesus. Raise your hands again. How many of you remember that, that precious and powerful moment? <clears throat> I remember it very well. It was in my basement, 1980, 1980, just after Christmas, and my best friend came over, and uh, we were getting ready to lift weights. I'd gotten a new bench, a weight bench for Christmas. I was so excited. He and I were going to lift weights, and he brought his Bible. And uh, it kind of freaked me out, to be honest with you. I was like, what is that all about? You're going to pray for our muscles to grow, or what is this about? And he opened his Bible and began to share with me the gospel. I'd never heard the gospel in my life. I didn't even know the simplest Bible stories. At that moment when I said yes to Jesus that day, because he invited me to give my heart to the Lord, and all I knew, all I knew about in that moment really was that Jesus had died for me, that Jesus had paid this great price for my sins, and that um, in receiving him into my heart and my life, I was becoming a new creation and I would have a home in heaven. I didn't know a whole lot else at that point, to be honest with you. If you'd stepped up at that moment and asked me some kind of deep theological question, I would have been totally, you know, deer in the headlights. If you'd said, can you explain to me, Jeff, you know, I mean, this is pretty important. Can you explain to me the whole theological concept of sanctification? I would have been like, sanctify what? 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 Can, can you explain to me the eschatological ramifications of the, the budding of the fig tree and the founding of the nation of Israel, the refounding of the nation? I would have been like, huh? In fact, if you just asked me, can you tell me all about the story of Jonah and the whale? I would have looked at you with a blank stare. I didn't even know the simplest Bible stories. And it's interesting because... Um, in that moment, I didn't need to be a theologian. In that moment, I didn't need to know all those things. 
All I needed to know in that moment was I'd been saved by grace through faith, not of myself, but through what Jesus had done for me. And this morning, I, 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 we've been talking about indestructible joy. Here's our, here's our definition. Indestructible joy means having a joy that no matter what happens in your life, you continue to trust and praise God, knowing that God in no other circumstance has the final word over your life. And this morning, I want us to focus in on the importance of knowing and believing sound biblical doctrine, sound biblical truth, when I first got saved, it, 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 that wasn't important to me, but now it's important to me. It should be important to you as you grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. We need to know what we believe and why we believe it, especially in the day and time we live in. Well, quite honestly, all throughout time. There has been error that the enemy has tried to bring in to confuse and frustrate and even divide the church. Today, salvation by grace alone through faith and what Jesus did on the cross for us. Took a long time in church history, quite honestly, to, to iron that out. I don't know if you know that or not. Church history is a is a tough thing to read. I remember being in church history and seminary and just being shocked at how much violence there was in the name of the Lord. And to me, it's reprehensible that, that it ever got to that. Reading one of the books I'm reading right now is called Bullies and Saints. And it tells the history of the church and the bad spots and the good spots. And there's a lot of bad spots that we need to go back and make up for, repent of, because sometimes we did anything but what would have been pleasing to God. There's a lot of that in church history, regrettably. It took a long time to iron out the concept of grace, that we don't work for our salvation. That's really kind of the root, if you will, of most cultish groups, right? is this idea of having to work for your salvation. It's also the, the basis of most world religions, including Islam. You have, you have the, 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 five, the five pillars of Islam, and you, know, you do those, do those, do those, but you don't know whether your scale is balanced quite enough or what Allah is ultimately going to decide. You're constantly working to try to appease Allah. It's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches this concept of grace. And thank God for the concept of grace. It's the thing that probably more so delineates Christianity from any other belief system in the world is the concept of grace. Yeah, Let me just say it this way. And if you've never thought about grace like this, it's just a fun little anacronym, right? God's riches at Christ's expense. That everything's been purchased for you, done for you by Jesus himself. You don't have to do anything else. It's done. Most religions, most cultish groups, it's all about do, do, do. But Jesus says, it's done. It's finished. I've paid the price by my blood on the cross and you are redeemed. You, 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 you are saved by grace. You are kept by grace, church, and you'll enter heaven by the grace of God and the grace of God alone and not by your works. Do you understand that? Hallelujah. 
You know what that ought to do? That ought to give you a deep-seated peace in your heart and your soul and really ignite a, a heart of thankfulness and love for God that ought to overflow out of you. So this morning, we find ourselves coming to a couple of really interesting verses. So hang on. I'm going to try to get through this as best I can. We're going to, we're going to throw a lot of scripture at you today, so get ready. Philippians 3, 1. Finally, my brethren, rejoice. Everybody say rejoice. rejoice. There it is. Every seven verses throughout the whole book of Philippians, the concept of joy, rejoice, or rejoicing comes up. Every seven verses. Can you imagine every seven sentences in your vocabulary, you're rejoicing unto Jesus for the indestructible joys placed in your heart that nothing can take away? He says, rejoice in the Lord. For me to write the same things to you is not tedious, but for you it is safe. This is really interesting what Paul is saying here. And I want to take a moment, kind of unpack that, right? And it's funny, by the way, at the very beginning, right? This is the beginning of Philippians 3. Philippians goes four chapters, right? He says the word finally. How many of you know that if you believe the pastor when he says, and in closing, you're an optimist? How many of you know that? <laughs> I mean, that's, that's the definition of an optimist. When, when the pastor says, we're closing, and, and you don't realize that means it's going to be another 20 minutes, at least. Paul says, finally, and he's still got the whole chapter of three to go in chapter four. Paul was a good preacher. He says, my brethren, he's talking, of course, to the body of believers there at Philippi. And he tells them to rejoice. Having that indestructible joy is so important to Paul. And then he says, I'm writing the same things, and, and it isn't tedious to me to write the same things, to be redundant, to repeat doctrine to you, to repeat things that are of, of utmost importance to you. It's not tedious. It's, I, I, I don't grieve over that. It's not boring for me. Because here's what I realize. It's safe for you. What I'm doing in my epistles, Paul is basically saying, is I, I repeat myself over and over again, the truths that will secure you, the truths that will, that will hold you fast on the journey ahead, and it's safe for you. You need to know these things, and most of the time, for, for most of us, the best way to, to remember something, to know something, is the intentional repetition of it. So the intentional repetition of sound doctrine gives you the best chance of not going spiritually sideways where you're blown around by every new thing that tries to assault the truth of God. It's safe to know the truth of what you believe, the truth of God's word. Repetition helps us. By the way, Paul's not the only one who repeats the truths of God. Peter does the same thing. Second Peter chapter 1. Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure. For if you do these things, you'll never stumble. For, uh, for so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. For this reason, I will not be negligent to remind you always of these things though you know and are established in present truth. I'm going to be diligent. I'm going to remind you of those foundational truths that you can stand on in your faith. This is incredibly important stuff this morning as we dive into some fundamental truth in God's Word. Why is it important? Because we're living in days 
where the essential historic doctrines of the Christian faith must be repeated over and over and over again from our pulpits and in our hearts and our minds, lest we fall victim to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils that try to overturn the truth. Because there, there is a spirit of error, of misrepresentation, of, uh, of uh, seduction in our world today that would love, love, love to get you and I to, to get our belief system off key, if you will. Because what you believe is going to ultimately be how you behave, always. What you believe will dictate how you behave. If the enemy can get you to start believing some, some error, it'll quickly get you off course. They say when a rocket takes off, if it's just a, uh, just a degree or two off, by the time it gets up into its orbit, it's thousands of miles off. So this is why doctrine is so important. And in that, the Spirit comes with a warning. Okay, now realize Paul's writing this under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Because this next verse is going to rock you a little bit. So get ready. Here we go. Philippians 3, 2. Beware of dogs. Beware of evil workers. Beware of the mutilation. Wow, I don't know about you, but this has taken a little turn on us in Philippians, hasn't it? It's interesting. Where is he going? What is this about? What is, what is Paul talking about? Let me just say this to you at the beginning. Christian love isn't void of speaking sober warnings or of hard corrective truth. Paul's using some tough language here in Philippians 3.2. Dogs unclean, wandering, scavenging dogs who've come into the church. He's not talking about Fido and, and Skippy. He's talking about evil workers. He's talking about people who've come into the church. How many of you have ever thought to yourself or kind of known in yourself, the church is a vulnerable place in a lot of ways because people are loving and people are accepting in the church. How many of you have ever thought? You know, the church is a place where the enemy can get in pretty easy if we're not watchful and careful. Because we are loving and accepting. And we should be. But at the same time, we need to be aware of truth. It's interesting. Evil workers. Wow. Wow. I, I'm not even going to define that any further. I mean, this says someone who has an evil intention and they're working in a way, they're cooperating, if you will, with the enemy. Love is saying, here's the truth and here's, here's your healing, if you will. Love doesn't say to someone who's dying, you'll be just fine. You'll be, you'll be just fine. No, love is truthful and love is honest. And Christian love isn't a void of sober warnings and corrective truth. How many of you know, if you've read the Gospels at all, even Jesus used truthful yet derogatory language to describe people? Now, th this, is, this is just not popular stuff today, right? Because we're, we're living in a day and a time where, you know, ah, man, <laughs> this is controversial. But Jesus did not 
mince his words and he did not hold back. Matthew chapter 7, here's what Jesus says. Do not give what is holy to dogs. Do not cast your pearls before swine. That's some tough language. John chapter 8, to the Pharisees, he says, You're of your father the devil, and you are murderers and liars. And then here's my favorite. How about Jesus in his temple tantrum? Anybody remember that? John chapter 2, verse 15, it says, And when he had made a whip of cords, he drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen, and he poured out the changers' money, and he overturned the tables. Let me just say to you, we need a fully orbed understanding of the character of Jesus. Sometimes we think being Christian is just being nice. We're supposed to speak the truth in love. We're living in a day and a time that is desperately crying out for truth. This is a telling time for the church. Will we stand and be proclaimers of God's truth or will we silently pull back as the world around us decays and the church decays? It's interesting, you read the Gospels and Jesus is washing feet and he's turning over tables. He's gentle Jesus one moment and he's, he's making that whip of cords the next. And let me just tell you, he didn't find that thing and pick it up. He made it. He's in there, he's, he's basically going, somebody's getting a whooping. Somebody's getting a whooping because things have gotten out of hand here. Can I tell you why Paul and Jesus both use such strong language and why they address those around them in such what seem to be harsh ways? There's kind of one discerning factor, and it's really important that you don't miss it. Both Jesus and Paul are addressing those who are misrepresenting them. That's where you want to get Jesus worked up? Misrepresent his heart to the world. You want to get the old apostle Paul stirred up? Misrepresent the truth of God's word. It's interesting, you know, some people will joke around that, you know, God made man in his image and then ever since man's been trying to make God in his image. Let's be careful not to make Jesus into our own culturally woke, you know, nice, never says anything in any way that would ever upset anybody image. That's not Jesus. He tells the truth when the truth needs to be told. Sometimes telling the truth is the most loving thing you can do. And we've got to remember that, church, because we're living in a day and a time where I can guarantee you the church is going to be tried, the, the culture is going to try to put the church in a box and lock it in, and they won't allow it to speak the truth. I just was with one of the pastors from southeast the other day 
and a friend, a friend of mine, and he had just led a mission trip to Sweden. And he said, we we're in Sweden, and um, I was told if you say anything from the pulpit in Sweden about marriage being between a man and a woman, you're in trouble. You will pay a, a, a real price from the government. You hear lots of things about that, right? Because the enemy will do everything in his control to suppress truth. You realize that, right? What is the enemy? The enemy is a liar. He's a liar. He's the father of lies. And he will continue to try to lie to you and I, to our culture, so that we don't speak the truth and we don't stand up in the time of need. Now, it's interesting, the majority of the New Testament epistles, if you, if you read the New Testament, when you get through the Gospels, you, you'll notice something if you're, if you're paying attention. The majority of the New Testament is about confronting doctrinal errors that were creeping into the church as early as the first century. Right out of the, the bat, right out of the gate, the church is dealing with all kinds of different issues. Judaizers, we'll talk about those this morning. Gnosticism, carnality, compromise of all kinds is creeping into the church. And Peter spends a lot of time addressing it. Paul spends a lot of time addressing it. The apostle John spends a lot of time addressing it. They all were confronting error because, listen, the souls of men and women were at stake. Listen, when the truth gets compromised and the truth gets watered down, no, nobody gets transformed. Nobody, nobody repents of their sin and comes to the Savior. The, the gospel's no longer preached. And the, the souls of men and women are on the line. When's the last time we've cried over lost people going to a Christless eternity? If we stay silent when the truth is being distorted, I mean majorly distorted in our society, then we ultimately are contributing. If you, if you, if you don't understand this, this is so important, we're ultimately contributing to the moral decline of the church and our society. And we're forfeiting opportunities to help desperate people in need. If you don't stand... And speak corrective truth in love. You'll silently contribute to the moral decay of society. You'll silently contribute to the weakening of the church's testimony. And you'll forfeit opportunities to genuinely help people in need. I'm so thankful that my, my friend came and shared the gospel with me that day. I was lost and, and, and I was already questioning the meaning of life. I was going down a road that would not have brought me abundant life in any way, shape, or form. I'm so glad he came and, and was willing to share with me truth. I wonder how much the church overall has, has quietened over these last 15, 20 years because we're afraid to offend anybody. We're afraid. Listen, the truth is at times offensive. You ever been told? I've been told the truth before, and I got offended at it at times. And I've also been told the truth, and it saved my life at times. 
I'm not saying to you that every time you speak the truth in love, people are going to receive it in love. It isn't always that way. I spent a lot of time, in, in my early days, I spent a lot of time on the streets of downtown Louisville. Tracy was there with me too and uh, led a large group of young adults going, going bar to bar in downtown Louisville late on Friday nights. And sometimes I spoke truth to guys that you'd, you'd be scared to speak truth to them. But this is the boldness of the Holy Spirit, and I spoke truth to them, and, and I watched as the Lord convicted them, and they fell on the sidewalk on their knees in repentance. And then sometimes I spoke truth, and they lashed out, and it didn't, it, it didn't feel real good. I don't know how many of you have, I've told you that story or not, but... One of the things that we always did, right, I had, had 25, 30 young people, and we'd, we'd meet in the old trailway bus station parking lot, and, and just the rule was simply go two by two, just like Jesus said, go two by two. We'd meet at 10 o'clock on Friday nights. We did it for three years. It was amazing, the things we saw God do. And we were track stars. We had a, we had a big old box of tracks. Anybody remember tracks? We had a big old box of tracks. I'd hand all these tracks out to each group of two, right? And one night, I don't know what happened to me. I guess I got a little carried away, but I didn't follow the two-by-two rule. And I saw a guy cross the street on Market Street, and I zipped over there, and I was going to tell him about Jesus by myself. And uh, he was sitting on a bench, and he had a big scar across his neck. And, and um, I was sharing Christ with him, and he said, man... I was in Vietnam, and they cut my head off, and they stuck it back on. And I'm going, what? And uh, I'm just trying to share Christ with him, you know. And, but I got a little pushy with him, and all of a sudden, he got up, and he kicked me where he shouldn't have kicked me, and he hit me where it didn't feel very good. And it was a little scary, right? And all of a sudden, across the street, one of my guys was the Indiana, Indiana heavyweight championship wrestler. And he came to my aid, thank God. He was a big angel in that moment. And he saved my bacon, thank God. But uh, it was amazing. One night we, we saw a guy coming in and he gave his heart to the Lord. He's still in ministry today. One night we were passing by a bar. We led a young lady to Christ and she's, she's, she ended up becoming a missionary. It's really interesting, folks. Please hear me. I want to be super clear on this. What I'm saying here this morning about confronting doctrinal error and speaking truth, I am not encouraging us or giving us a license to be mean. No. I'm saying that Christian love isn't void of speaking sober warnings and or corrective truth. But that doesn't mean we have to be mean about it. We can be kind, we can be considerate, we can do it in love. Amen? Amen. So what are Judaizers? Who are the dogs? Who are the evil workers? What is this mutilation that Paul is talking about? They were called the Judaizers. If you look throughout the New Testament and do a little bit of research into church history, they're also called the false apostles. They're also called the false brethren. Because they mixed Old Testament law with New Testament grace, yet they said they believed in Jesus, but not just Jesus. 
Jesus and his sacrifice wasn't quite enough for them. They absolutely believed you had to follow all of those Old Testament laws. They say there's 633 laws in the Old Testament. How many of you think that'd be a great way to believe, right? You have to obey all those Old Testament laws and follow Jesus at the same time. And that's the kind of doctrinal error they were bringing into the early church. They still kept the Old Testament laws, the Sabbaths, the feasts, the dietary codes and laws, circumcision, all those things. Otherwise, they said, you cannot be saved. The entire book of Galatians, by the way, is about addressing this very error of the Judaizers. In Galatians 5.12, it says this, Paul says this, and I don't know if you've ever read this and understood this, but... Paul gets a little, a little edgy here. He says, I could wish that those who trouble you would even cut themselves off. I don't know if you know what he's talking about there. Let me, let me let someone help us out in understanding what he's saying right there because it's kind of a little edgy. One of the most conservative Bible scholars, and I have some major disagreements with him, but John MacArthur says, since he's talking, this is his commentary on Galatians, since the Judaizers were so insistent on circumcision as a means of pleasing God, they should go to the extreme of religious devotion and mutilate or castrate themselves. Yeah, that's basically what Paul's saying. So this morning, let's look. Paul is so frustrated with the error that's trying to come into the church with this false doctrine so let's, let's look, and here I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw out a lot of Scripture to you. History of salvation by grace, by the grace of Jesus, not of the works of the law. Because you, you, you realize and you understand, you know, the, the early believers were Jewish, and, and, and some that were getting saved were Jewish, but they wanted to bring in all these other things. And, and we're saved by grace alone through faith in the finished work of Christ. You don't add anything to it, church. Jesus' sacrifice is sufficient for you and I. Amen? So Acts chapter 15, this is, this is the council there at Jerusalem. This is an important moment in church history. It says, And certain men came down from Judea and taught the brethren, Unless you're circumcised, according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. Therefore, when Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and dispute with them, they determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain others of them should go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and elders about this question. So being sent on their way by the church, they passed through Phoenicia and Samaria, describing the conversion of the Gentiles, and they caused great joy to all the brethren. And when they had come to Jerusalem, they were received by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they reported all things that God had done with them. But some of the sect of the Pharisees who believed rose up saying, it's necessary to circumcise them and to command them to keep the law of Moses. Now the apostles and elders came together to consider this matter. And when there had been much dispute, Peter rose up. You know, Peter's got to say something, right? And he says to them, men and brethren, you know that a good while ago, God chose among us that by the mouth of Gentiles, that by my mouth, the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. So God, who knows the heart, acknowledged them by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did to us, and made no distinction between us and them, purifying their hearts by faith. Now, therefore, why do you test God? 
by putting a yoke on the neck of the disciples, which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear. But we believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved in the same manner as they. It's interesting, he flips it here. He says, we will be saved in the same manner as they are, instead of we are saved and they'll be saved in the same manner as us. They wrote this letter by them, the apostles and elders, and the brethren, to the brethren who are the Gentiles in Antioch, Syria, and Cilicia, greetings, since we've heard that some, of, some who went out from among us have troubled you with words, unsettling your soul, saying you must be circumcised and keep the law to whom we gave no such commandment. It seemed good to us, being assembled with you in one accord, to send chosen men to you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, men who've risked their very lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We therefore have sent Judas and Silas, who are also of good report by the same things, by the word of mouth. For it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay upon you no greater burden than these necessary things, that you abstain from things offered to idols, from blood from things strangled and from sexual immorality. If you do yourselves, if you, if you keep yourselves from these, you will do well. Farewell. <laughs> kind of funny how he throws that farewell in there at the end. Farewell. What's he saying there? He's saying the only thing we would ask you to do is to avoid these things that were commonly pagan practices, which in that day and time, we don't even understand it exactly the way they would have, abstaining from things offered to idols, from drinking blood, from things strangled, from sexual immorality. Don't do those things. But you know what? It's, it's Jesus and Jesus alone that saves you. There's this struggle in this dispute in the early church about what it takes to be saved. And the Pharisees, many of them were saying it was Jesus plus the law. But Peter is saying it's the grace of Jesus alone because none of us, none of us could keep the law. Let's flip over to um, Galatians chapter 2. Let's see here. Did I miss a page? Galatians Chapter um, 2 says, Now when Peter come to Antioch, I withstood him to his face. This is an interesting thing that happens between Paul and Peter in the early church because Peter is the one in Acts chapter 10 who'd gotten the revelation from God about accepting the Gentiles and, and calling no thing unclean. The whole visitation from Cornelius, it was such a powerful encounter, and God showed Peter three times what this meant, and it's why you and I are saved today. It's why the church is made up of others, not just Jewish people, that are, is made up of what, what the Bible calls Gentiles, which is what you and I are. And it's interesting, that's Acts chapter 10, but by Acts chapter 11, Paul's, not Paul, Peter's already waffling on this, giving in, if you will, to some peer pressure from those that stood on this whole Judaizer foundation. It says, when Peter had come to Antioch, I withstood him to his face because he was to be blamed. For before certain men came from James, he would eat with the Gentiles. But when they came, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing those who were of the circumcision. There they are. This is the Judaizers. And the rest of the Jews also played the hypocrite with him. 
so that even Barnabas was carried away with their hypocrisy. But when I saw that they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter before them all, if you being a Jew live in the manner of Gentiles and not as the Jews, then why do you compel Jews to live as, or Gentiles to live as Jews? We who are Jews by nature and not sinners of the Gentiles, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ, even we have believed in Christ Jesus that we might be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law, for by the works of the law no flesh shall be justified. And it's interesting because Peter's giving in to peer pressure there, and Paul comes and saves the day. As I said to you, there, there was a lot that goes into ironing this out in the early church. Galatians chapter 4, but now after you've known God, or rather are known by God, how is it that you turn again to the weak and beggarly elements to which you desire again to be in bondage? You observe days and months and seasons and years. I'm afraid for you, lest I've labored for you in vain. It's interesting because it's not about keeping the ceremonies. It's not about making the sacrifices of animals. It's not about the dietary law codes of Moses. None of those things save us. Only the sacrifice of Jesus saves a man or a woman or a boy or a girl. Can you say amen to that? It's so important, and yet it was so costly, the battle, just to get us there. Galatians chapter 5, he goes on to say, Stand therefore, stand fast therefore in the liberty by which Christ has made us free, and do not be entangled again with a yoke of bondage. Indeed, I, Paul, say to you that if you become circumcised, Christ will profit you nothing. And I testify again to every man who becomes circumcised that he's a debtor to keep the whole law. You've become estranged from Christ. Uses some strong language here. You who attempt to be justified by law, you've fallen from grace. Fallen from grace. Christ and his sacrifice doesn't profit law keepers. If, if we're going to be law keepers, then we're going to be debtors to the whole law. We better start sacrificing animals again. We're going to become estranged from Christ, fallen from grace. It doesn't get any worse than that. No wonder Paul uses such strong language and calls those who preach that and confused others with this, this errant doctrine, dogs and evil workers and mutilators. Because people's salvation was at stake. Grace, God's riches at Christ's expense. It's not, this is not a performance-based faith. Can you say amen to that? Colossians chapter 2 says, Now this I say, lest anyone should deceive you with persuasive words. Beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you are complete in him. Say complete. complete. You are complete in him. Say it with me. I am complete in him. I am complete in him. This is huge. 
who is the head of all principality and power. In him you were also circumcised with the circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ buried with him in baptism in which you also were raised with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead and you being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh." He is made alive together with him, having forgiven you all your trespasses, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against you, which was contrary to us. And he's taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross, having disarmed principalities and power. He made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. So let no one judge you in food or in drink or regarding a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath, which are a shadow of things to come but the substance is of Christ. So important. Don't be deceived with persuasive, deceitful, man-made, worldly philosophies. The fullness of God dwells in Jesus. He's more than sufficient. And you and I are complete in him. Jesus is our sufficiency. Can you say it with me? Jesus is our sufficiency. Okay, say it like you mean it. Jesus is our sufficiency. And our completeness is shown. The scripture says he's, he's circumcised us by removing our sinful flesh. There's been a heart change. That sinful desire has been removed. We've been buried. Our old life's been buried through baptism. We've been raised through faith with Christ, made alive, forgiven all of our trespasses. The handwriting of requirements against us was wiped out and nailed to the cross. And Jesus has disarmed every enemy power through his crucifixion, his death, his burial, his resurrection. (laughs) Jesus, let's put it this way, Jesus forever settled every issue concerning you in both heaven and hell. And you must now, you must know now that, that you have believed and received Jesus and you are complete in him. Can you say amen, church? Jesus says in Matthew 5, 17, I didn't come to abolish the law. I came to fulfill it. He fulfilled it for you and for me. Why in the world, why in the world would we ever go back to trying to keep dietary, ceremonial laws to somehow prove our rightness before God? You can't eat this. You can't eat that. You must go to church on this day or that day. It's utter foolishness, Scripture says. Why mess around in the shadows when you have the substance, the real thing? Unless you think that what I'm talking about today doesn't affect people today. There are such things out there today. There are people in this city that believe in what's called the Hebrew Roots Movement or Toby, the Torah Observant Believers in Yeshua where once again, believers are saying, let's go deeper, and they start having to obey all those Old Testament laws. Aren't you thankful this morning for the grace of Jesus Christ and what he did for us, that we're saved by grace through faith alone because of what Jesus did? Amen? Amen. Would you stand with me as we close today? Lord, thank you for your word. Your word is meaty, it's strong, it's powerful, it's living, it's active. It sets us free from error. 
It shows us the true path of life. It challenges us to to rise up and obey the commandments of God, obey the, the direction of God that Jesus has given us. Not all those Old Testament, Old Testament dietary codes and laws and animal sacrifices, but obeying Jesus and following him with our whole hearts. That's what it's all about. Lord, have your way in each of our lives today. Jesus, thank you for this Christmas season and all that it means. We get to celebrate you and your sufficiency and your completeness in this season. Help us to do just that. We love you in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. Can you give the Lord praise this morning? Give him praise for his word. Amen. God bless you. You're dismissed. Have a great day. And Merry Christmas. Enjoy the season.